Hello, welcome to Notes from the Underdark, the podcast chronicling the stories of D&D campaigns that I'm in. I'm your narrator, Jonathan Lips. All the stories and much more information about the campaign, the world, and the characters are published online at underdark.quest. Check it out. And now, on to the episode. This is Champions of the Cademonies, Episode 3, Leolin Lost. We ended the last session with the party divided about how to interact with the mysterious women, Adriel and Caligo, who had asked us to come north with them. The most extreme position was occupied, of course, by Orwin, who remained convinced that the women were trouble and that we should get rid of them. Rianne decided instead to follow after them and engage in friendly conversation to gather intelligence about the road south. Fen and Evender went back to see Torella and inform her about these women. Both conversations proved fruitful. Rianne learned that the women, acting as generals under Lady Almara, had survived their journey from the south by following a path guarded by mysterious protective gemstones. Torella confirmed that Lady Almara, who was in charge of a Cademonies-related facility in the north, had designs on similar stones of ancient power as a way to protect humankind once and for all from the various encroaching dangers. We were also assigned our first escortee, a man named Arcus Neris, famed architect of Nawam's luxurious inner city. Yes, that's right, Arcus the architect. The academy needed Arcus to head south with us to design and build the next academy. Unfortunately, Arcus was in no mood to leave town as his newlywed Leolin had just gone missing. Our job, all of a sudden, became pacifying Arcus and trying to find Leolin. Otherwise, we'd have no way to convince Arcus to come with us and help the Cademonies resettle. Always one for creative ideas, Orwin took the measure of the flighty, self-obsessed, and obviously scatterbrained Arcus, and decided that he might be able to seduce the middle-aged architect sufficiently for him to forget all about Leolin and come with us instead. Needless to say, the rest of the party was disappointed, if not shocked, at the rather gigoloic suggestions coming from our young paladin and opted instead to try to uncover Leolin's whereabouts. Relishing our new role as fantasy gumshoes, we prompted Arcus to retrace Leolin's last known steps. In guise as the famous Lord's assistants, we visited several wealthy palaces of the inner city, and, after befriending some of the kitchen staff, learned that Leolin had wandered off with a group of other lordlings in the direction of the Middle City, talking about something called Stone Sigil Signing, 
and the Tehokivi, whatever they were. Our virtual hackles were raised. The middle city was no place for a group of rich fops, particularly with the city in its current state. So after depositing Arcus in a friend's mansion for safekeeping, we bluffed our way out of the inner city gates and set off to track down Leolin. Based on the clues that we'd gained, we visited a stone sigil shop and spoke with the owner, Escantal, whom we plied for information. There we learned something about these Tehokivi, which were mythical stones or crystals of immense power, which most people considered imaginary. Having then exhausted the stone sigil option, because Leolin had not visited the shop, we went looking for the other thing the young lordlings might have had their minds on in the inner city, drugs. Specifically, zest, a dangerous and mind-altering substance. Tracking down zest took us into the more obviously unsavory parts of the middle city, and we passed enough dead bodies on the way to the infamous Kendler Alley to make Orwin nearly pass out. A strange light in an alley window prompted us to look stealthily inside for any sign of Leolin or his companions. Not being able to see very well, Orwin decided to go through the window and promptly fell among five very dead bodies. Before being able to investigate whether these were our five missing lordlings, a noise of approaching footsteps in the house scared us away. We continued to flee the alley itself as unseen boots encircled it, and we only escaped thanks to Evender's surprisingly accurate knowledge of the smallest byways of the middle city. Out of good ideas and of a divided mind about whether the bodies we found were in fact the lordlings, maybe fallen prey to drug dealers or worse, we decided to find an unsavory antique shop where Evander thought the proprietor might know something about the Tehokivi. If one of these stones were actually real, and if it were a Naum, it would no doubt have been lurking for centuries as some kind of family heirloom. So it stood to reason that Leolin, if he believed in them, might have tried to sniff it out by visiting dealers and antiques. So as not to give away our interest in Leolin while asking about the Tehokivi, we devised a ruse whereby Evander would pretend to have brought Fen and Orwin to the shop to settle a bet about the Tehokivi. Fen, for his part, claiming they were made up nonsense, and Orwin, on his side of the bet, arguing that there was some truth to them. Thus we came to the shop of Theron Kell, and with our ruse and our flattery about his knowledge of these arcane matters, learned that Mr. Kell had indeed been hearing credible rumors that one of the Tehokivi was in Nawam. Pretended to be interested and driven by our own avarice, 
we offered to buy information from him about the Tehokivi and whether anyone else was hunting them. Not having much in the way of coin, we briefly debated amongst ourselves how we might procure some amount of zest to bargain with, but ultimately decided that spinning up drug lord alter egos was a bit too much of a side quest. Fortunately, Therenkel was only too happy to take one of Rianne's exotic knives in exchange, and told us gleefully that a group of lordlings had come by not two days before, looking for the Tehokivi, and that in answer to their queries, he had deceitfully sent them down to Kendler Alley in accordance with his standing relationship with the Black Cornix Syndicate where they could be captured and used in one of what we imagined could be some kind of dark sacrifice for the Black Cornix gang. But Mr. Kell also told us, by the by, that the Cornix gang genuinely believed one of the Tehokibi stones was in Nawam, and in fact that one of the inner city houses had already been looted in their search for it. After leaving the shop, our hearts fell. To all appearances, it looked as if Leolin had indeed been another victim of these more dangerous parts of Nawam. But it also appeared as though a larger story was opening up in front of us. What were these mythical stones, and what kind of power did they hold, if real? It was apparent that not only Leolin and the Black Cornix Syndicate were after these stones, but Adriel and Caligo, Lady Elmara's generals, as well. Was there more to their presence in Nawam than they had let on? But for now, what would we tell Arcus? Discussing the matter, we made our way back to the inner city, only to realize that we would never be able to pass through the gates on our own in the middle of the night, particularly dressed for skulking around as we were. Instead, Evander led us through a secret tunnel under the wall that he knew of. Coming out the other side of the tunnel into a kind of warehouse, we were surprised by a handful of Black Cornic Syndicate members. Equally surprised by us, they raised their weapons, and it looked as if things were about to get ugly. Rianne tried to shout something about how we were working with Arcus, but this clearly didn't endear the ruffians to us. All of a sudden, just before crossbow bolts started flying, Evendor stepped forward and spoke to the gang. He claimed to belong to the gang himself, and that he was on an important mission for the Cornix. This gave them pause, but they pressed him for proof. Evendor provided it, disowning the rest of us as companions and instead sharing how we, his party members, were just pawns in his mission for the syndicate. Satisfied for the moment, the gang members did not press an attack. For our part, the rest of the group was shocked at Evander's revelation, but it was obviously not the place to challenge him or have a roundtable discussion about what seemed to be a rather large betrayal. We weren't yet out of the woods. Our enemies, but not Evender's, 
had made no move to let us on our way. It was going to be up to a vendor to continue to talk our way out of the situation. And then we would all need to have a long conversation with him. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Underdark. You can get in touch with me at Underdark Notes. That's Underdark underscore Notes on Twitter. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it in your podcast app. And tell all your friends to visit Underdark.Quest. Until next time, may all your hits be critical. <laughs>